Now, at the cross, uh, I'm going to start us off in John, which is the next book to your right, John 19. I'm going to show you a scene at the cross where these two on the road to Emmaus may be named. It's a little bit of conjecture, but it'll set the scene. John 19, 25. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You got John 19, 25. Now, there stood at the cross, John 19, 25, Jesus, his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary, there are a lot of Marys back in the day, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Now, in Luke 24, 18, we have a Cleopas named. There are scholars that believe this is the same person. If that's the case, this would have been a family member of Jesus. It would have been his uncle or the brother of Joseph. Notice you have Mary, the wife of Clopas or Cleopas, and a very familiar name, Mary Magdalene. Now they are at the cross. They're watching Jesus die. When Jesus, therefore, 26, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, we believe John, standing by, he said to his mother from the cross, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. In other words, take care of her. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is Finished. By the way, that's what the high priest would say at the end of the Passover celebrations. When the Passover lamb was killed for the nation, he would say, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Please turn to Luke 24. Can you imagine being at the cross? You've followed Jesus for three, three and a half years. You've put your life on hold. You've put your hopes in him only to watch him die on the cross, to be brutally tortured with the cat of nine tails, to be mocked publicly, to be rejected by your own people, by the leaders of your people, by your nation. And all the while, you may have been thinking, this one who had done miracles of miracles, he had opened the, the ears of the deaf, opened the eyes of the blind, he had raised people from the dead, he had spoke to demonic spirits and shut them up, he had spoken to the sea and quieted it. Now, how can he die on a cross? It was unthinkable to their minds. They were not thinking about the resurrection. They were thinking that Jesus would overcome Rome and that he would set things right again. That he would take the throne of David back. And if you've ever been a person who put your hopes and dreams in something and has, had been disappointed, you can imagine how deep the wounds were. They were in despair. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. And when Jesus said, it is finished, I think they were thinking, it's all over. I think they were thinking, the game is over he is dead. We don't know how this could have happened. How could someone like him, such a beautiful person like him, die in this way? How could it end this way? And I think they were walking away from the cross. And when you walk away from the cross and you're not convinced of the resurrection, 
If you, maybe you made a profession of faith at some point in your life and you've walked away from Jesus, let me just say to you, there is no place else to go. When Peter was standing there and Jesus had preached a difficult message about his body and his blood, often misunderstood, many, John 6, 66 says, many of the disciples followed him no more after that teaching. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said, do you want to go away also? And Peter said, Lord, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where else do you go for hope? You know, when Peter had denied the Lord and after the resurrection, Peter went back fishing. He said, I'm going fishing. And there may be some here who have gone back to their old life. You went back fishing. Let me ask you, how is it? You know, you taste and see that the Lord is good. Where else are you going to go? You know, we've all probably tried it. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm the first one to admit, even after becoming a Christian, I tried to go back to my life more than once, my old life, more than once. But there's nothing and there's no one like the Lord. But it is a process sometimes to get through that sanctification, that conforming that God wants to do. And I think that they were hopeless and they were walking down this road away from the cross Bummed out in despair. The psalmist says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Put your hope in God. In the afternoon of the resurrection morning, we pick up the story. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's found in Luke 24, verse 13. It says, and behold, two of them were going that very day. Now, it could have been husband and wife. It could have been Clopas or Cleopas and Mary. Some believe that Luke is one of the two. I don't think that can be sustained from what the Gospel of Luke tells us, but we have one named and one unnamed. Two of them were going that very day, the day of the resurrection, to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, so not very far away. The afternoon of the resurrection, and the two of them are making the long walk, having watched Jesus died at the cross. Heaviness of heart the cold reality of a dead Savior. What do you do now? What do you talk about? Maybe there's no words. You know, sometimes when we go through loss and something heavy happens to us, there's no words. You, you can't even express how you feel. But they were conversing. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. What things? Well, the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and even what had been reported that morning. Look back in the text at Luke 24, verse 9. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven, these women who were at the tomb, and to all the rest. All the rest would have surely included these two disciples. Now they were Mary Magdalene, Luke 24, 10, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling them we're telling these things to the apostles. They were saying, hey, the tomb was empty. We saw a vision of angels. They said he's alive. And these words appeared to them, to the 11 and the others, as what? As nonsense. By the way, that Greek word means twaddle, empty chatter, pure nonsense. And even one of the Greek lexicons I looked at said humbug. 
The women came and said, the tomb is empty. We've seen a vision of angels. And the great, glorious disciples said, bah, humbug. And they would not believe them. You know, we sometimes think that, oh, the apostles anticipated the resurrection. This is really what they expected to see. It was the furthest thing from their minds, and they would not believe, even with a vision of angels spoken by the women in an empty tomb. They would not believe, and some people, frankly, will not believe. The Bible says, who has believed our report? And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing Jesus himself approached. The ESV, New King James says, he drew near and began traveling or walking with them. He walked along with them. Now here they are, picture the scene. They're walking along. Can you believe what happened? I I can't believe it. Jesus, I thought he was going to save Israel. I thought he was going to be our redeemer. Maybe they got into a little bit of an Eeyore syndrome. How many of you know Eeyore? You know, Eeyore the donkey. It's not much of a tale but it's the only one I've got. And I love Schleprock from the Flintstones. You guys remember Schleprock? Some of you who are around my age remember Schleprock. Wherever he went, it just rained on him. So he'd walk around, and it would just rain just on him. And people would say, how you doing, Schlep? And he'd say, well, I'm not doing so. Bit of a blustery day today. And I'm sure they were walking along like Schleprock and Eeyore, downhearted, in despair. Can you believe it? They might have been saying, I never thought this was going to happen. He's dead. What are we going to do now? Do you know, even when you have faith that may be doubting, and I just want to say to you that every Christian has moments of doubt. There's nothing wrong with doubting and making sure that what you've believed in can stand the test. So just because you've had some doubts, it doesn't mean that God's mad at you. In fact, when you're walking the road of doubt and maybe your faith has lowered a little bit, Jesus still walks with you. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. Even on your worst day, even when you feel you're the most unlovable person walking the planet, he walks with you. He doesn't give up on us. And he approached them in their grief and he walked along. Don't you love the picture? We're not told where he came from or how he approached. It just says that he approached. And it says their eyes were prevented, 16, New King James says, restrained from recognizing him. He came alongside, but they didn't know it was him. And there are some other resurrection accounts where it says that they didn't recognize him at first. And what's the source of them not recognizing him? We don't know for sure. It could be that their unbelief blinded their eyes. And we know unbelief does blind our eyes. And it could be that God simply restrained them from recognizing Jesus. And so they're walking along and this stranger walks up and they're talking and they don't have really the eyes of faith right now. It says of Moses, he endured Hebrews eleven twenty seven as seeing him who is unseen. Let me just say this to you. God wants to take you deeper into spiritual life and you need to know that God is spirit 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God wants your faith to be deeper than just your eyes. It was said in the upper room in John 20, Blessed, you've, you've seen me and you believe, but blessed are those who do not see and what? And yet believe. Blessed are your eyes, you've seen these things, but not everybody is going to see them. I've never seen G- Jesus physically, but I know him. And I know the power of his resurrection. It doesn't mean that every day I wake up feeling like a giant spiritual man. That's not the case at all. But every day he meets me where I am. And he's taking me deeper even when my eyes don't see everything I'd like to see. Even when I have question marks in my soul that bother me. And so Jesus graciously walked with them. Listening to their animated, heated conversation. When you go to Israel, you are struck by the passion of the Semitic people. Everything they say is passionate. Uh, One thing that shocks you when you go to Israel is how much they use their horn on their vehicles. They say when someone goes to buy a car in the Middle East, the first thing they check is the horn. (laughs) And they honk at everybody, whether it is to say hello, whether it's a warning honk, or whether they're mad. Now, my wife and I were on a, it was a 60-seat bus, and we are sitting right behind our bus driver, and his name was Obada. Obada is a Palestinian Christian, and he drives like this. He chews a piece of gum while he drives, and he's driving this huge bus. He's like... <laughs> and then every now and then, he goes something like this. <laughs> and there's... And then his brother, who's the other, who's the guy, said, and you, you don't need an interpreter. You know what they're saying. What an idiot. And there's people, that's a loose translation, I think, but there's, there's people on bicycles and people on motorbikes standing on the back and they're cutting right in front of this huge bus and you're like, whoa, Really? Anyway, (laughs) so back and forth, they're having this conversation. Jesus says to them, uh, 17, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they stood still. They stopped looking sad, or they were looking glum, or they were bummed out. Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they just stopped on the road and went something like this. We've all been there. The Messiah was right next to them. They didn't know it. The answer to all their questions was right there. They needed a word from God. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says of the Messiah prophetically, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. A rabbi was asked a question by a pupil Referring to Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, these words I which, which I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart. Why is it said this way, the pupil asked? Why are we not told to place them in our heart? The rabbi answered that it is not within man's power to place divine teachings directly in his heart. All that we can do is place them upon the surface of the heart so that when the heart breaks, they will drop in. 
And I think sometimes the truths of the Bible become the sweetest when my heart breaks a little. It's not that I would choose that. It's not that I would choose that there would be holes and hurts in my heart. But I'll tell you this, that sometimes the truths of Scripture become the sweetest when you don't have all the answers. And so they walked along, and this man, this stranger, got their attention. He knew where they were geographically, emotionally, spiritually. And the Lord knows where you are this morning as well. And one of them, named Cleopas, 18, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which they have happened in these days? Where you been, bro? This is the talk of Jerusalem. And I don't know how you don't know, but we got problems here. They just crucified our hope, our master, our quote-unquote redeemer. We've got problems. Have you been living under a rock? Don't you watch the news? Jesus Christ has been crucified. There's a little humor here because they're telling it to the one to whom it happened to. God is so patient with us when we're updating him on current events. Lord, it's Monday morning. I don't know if you know what's going on around here, but I'd like to take a few minutes and just update you on the top five news stories of the day and some of my own personal problems. How patient the Lord is in listening to us. He knows everything. He knows a thought before I think it, a word before I speak it. There's nothing that he can learn. He's omniscient. And yet he listens. He's such a good listener. Wouldn't it be good if we became a better listener? You know, sometimes when people are talking, I'm impatient. I want to get my point across too. But I'm even more impatient when someone's talking and they don't know what they're talking about. And I know the facts. If I'm debating with someone, for example... And I know the truth and they don't. I'm not really good at going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But God, when we're talking to him, goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. R- really? Yeah, okay. And one more thing, Lord, uh, if you could take care of this, uh, in the next couple of hours, <laughs> right? So Jesus said to them, what things? <laughs> Verse 19, it's not that Jesus didn't know. He's trying to bring out of them what they're struggling with. And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet. Notice they, they say he's a prophet. They're not calling him the son of God here. Mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people. Things about Jesus, man. You know, Jesus. And Jesus standing there. Okay, tell me a little bit more. <laughs> Update me on this one called Jesus. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be to the sentence of death. And how they crucified him. But we were hoping that it's he who was going to redeem Israel. That means deliver, buy us back. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day. It's been three days since these things happened. You think it might have struck a chord to them? Jesus said, I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And it's been three days. And also some women among us amazed us, 22, when they were at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body. They came saying, 
that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb. We know Peter and John ran there from other accounts and found it just as exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. So let's see. Let's, let's see. It's been three days the women found the empty tomb, a vision of angels who said he's alive. You know, sometimes the more you talk, the more you indict yourself. Mm-hmm. So three days, vision of angels, empty tomb. Yeah, but him, they, they, they didn't find him. And so they're just sharing their heart. But the more they're talking, the more it's obvious that something has happened, something radical R. Kent Hughes says, they were so depressed and so negative that in their confusion that it was beyond their capacity to make the obvious connections. If you've ever been depressed or tried to help someone who is depressed, you know that such people are amazingly resourceful in finding reasons not to take comfort in anything you say to them. They're determined to hear everything is bad news. You know, after they said these things, you could hear the famous line, there was an empty tomb. The women said he's alive. There's a vision of angels, and here it comes. Yeah, but are you famous? Are you a yeah, but kind of person? Do you believe that God works in other people's lives, but it's just not going to work for you? Yeah, but Pastor John has a famous line. I'll throw him under the bus again. It's really not throwing him under the bus. He says in counseling, everything after but is baloney. So when we are hearing truth, sometimes we are good at saying, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if I can believe. And Jesus said to them, oh, foolish men. How foolish you are, NIV. New English Bible says how dull you are. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Why are you so slow to believe? The trouble was their failure to accept what the Bible taught. Would you notice that? You're so slow of heart to believe what the Bible says. Why do you think God restrained their eyes? Is it possible, Bible students, that the reason that he restrained their eyes is so that they would believe the Bible before they knew it was him? That's what God's asking of us today, to take him at his word to believe the scriptures, to believe what the prophets have spoken. And so their eyes were restrained and they were rebuked for not believing the word of God. Did not the Christ, 26, have to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer? You know, the Jews did what we do today. They took the positive verses prophecies about the Messiah and believed those but didn't really want to believe the negative ones. They believed the ones about the throne of David and the lion eating straw and the wolf and the lamb lying down together and the millennial reign of the Messiah when every nation would come to Israel and so forth, but they wouldn't believe the ones that he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and we're the same way. The verse of the day that we normally like to hold on to is not, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. How many of you usually have that as a Bible verse? That Bible verse could help you on the 91 freeway, though. 
In this world, you will have, loose translation is traffic, but be of good cheer. You will have tribulation in this world. They took the positive verses, but they didn't want to believe the negative verses, and we need both. Before you can have Sunday morning, you've got to have Friday afternoon. Suffering precedes glory. This world is agonizing and lamenting the pains of childbirth, but it is going to be reborn. And that's what the scriptures tell us. There's going to be a period of darkness that precedes a new light and a new day. This world is going to go through its own resurrection. You are going to be resurrected. That's what the Bible teaches. But they were having a tough time believing it. Their hearts were heavy and their eyes were blind. Dr. Martin says the power of the risen Christ can transform our lives by faith through grace alone. The power of the resurrection is the shedding forth of the Holy Spirit into our lives to enable us through gifts and through fruits to witness to a dying world that's lost and on its way to eternal judgment. J.N.D. Anderson says, Easter's message is, is either the supreme fact in history or it's a gigantic hoax. Either the resurrection is infinitely more than a beautiful story or it is infinitely less. If it is true, then it is the supreme fact of history and to fail to adjust one's life to its implications means irreparable loss. What can we say to a world that thinks it's so scientifically enlightened? Jesus Christ is alive. And because he lives, you and I can live also. This is the message of Sunday morning. The cross was necessary. It was necessary, 26, for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus goes back to the Bible. He goes back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He goes to all the prophets, verse 27, and he explains. That's the uh, Greek word from which we get the English word hermeneutics. He explained to them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus did a Bible study as they walked along the road. As they walked, he said, pull out your pocket Bible and open to the book of Genesis. Let me show you this. Let me show you something from Exodus. Let me show you something from Leviticus. Let me show you something from Jeremiah, from Isaiah, from Hosea, from Malachi. And he went through the Old Testament. However long it took that walk, which was about seven miles there he gave them a Bible study. How I would like to be part of that Bible study. Because the author of Scripture was explaining Scripture. Pretty cool. You can't have a higher authority than that, right? The author of Scripture is able to interpret his own word. And so he went through prophecy after prophecy of his death predicted and his resurrection predicted, like from Psalm 16, and even the book of Job, I know my Redeemer lives. He went to the prophets and to Moses. Check out Luke 24, look at verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you, 44, while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. He went to the Law of Moses 44, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Turn over to the book of Acts. Paul is before Governor Festus, a couple books to your right, King Agrippa. He's making his defense, and here's what he says, Acts 26. Paul, who had met the resurrected Christ, he was definitely an enemy of Christianity and a skeptic, to say the least. Here's the defense he offers before the king and the governor. Acts 26, look at verse 21. For this reason, 26, 21, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so having obtained help from God, I stand this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Acts 26, 23. That the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. I am not out of my mind, noble Festus, ESV. I speak the words, New King James, of truth and reason, ESV, what is true and rational, NIV, what I am saying is true and reasonable. This is what the Bible said was going to happen. It's true and it's anchored in prophecy. Let's go back to Luke 24 and we'll finish it. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, Psalm 47 and 8, to do thy will, O God. The whole Bible is about Christ. It's pointing to Christ. It's prophetically about him. And so Jesus does this Bible study. I'm hoping that one day there will be a record of it, maybe a videotape of it, but we won't have to worry about that because we'll get to do Bible studies with Jesus when we go to be with the Lord. That's going to be pretty cool. Who's going to teach today? Uh, Maybe we should let the Lord teach this Bible study. And so they approach the village, Luke 24, 28, Where they were going, Jesus has just now gone through all the scriptures, and he acted as though he would go farther. Don't you love Jesus? All right, boys, well, good Bible study. Knuckles, have a good day. We'll see you guys later. And they urged him, and they said, No, 29, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening. It's late. The day's nearly over. The sun is setting We thought the sun was setting on our hopes, but you've started to revive our hope. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread. So they had arrived at their home. He blessed it. He took the place of the head of the house of the master and he broke it and he began giving it to them. What was he doing? Why would he do this? He, he wasn't the head of this house, but he is the master. And when Jewish people get together, they take bread and they break it. And this is their prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And as he broke the bread, some people believe that maybe they saw the nail prints in his hands. But 
whatever the case may be, as he breaks the bread, their eyes were opened. Did this remind them of the Last Supper? Did this remind them of the feeding of the 5,000 miracle? I don't know. But as he broke the bread, the scales fell down from their eyes, and they recognized him, and I'm sure they were thinking about hugging him. Oh, Jesus, you're alive. And as soon as they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. (laughs) People go and come so quickly around here. Now, it's from the Wizard of Oz, just in case you wondered. Now, in the resurrection body, it would appear that physical limitations maybe no longer apply. And Jesus' resurrection body is a prototype of your body, which is coming. So it may be that you could just show up at your friend's house in the future and then disappear and kind of mess with your friends. Hey, how are you doing? And then just leave. <laughs> be a pretty cool thing, especially on April Fool's Day, you know, in the future. And he vanished, and they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining or exegeting the scriptures to us? Oh, wasn't your heart burning? Yes, but I didn't want to admit it. I I was thinking something spiritual was happening. I I was thinking this is no ordinary stranger. He, He knows a lot about the Bible. He speaks with authority, but my heart was aflame. It was Easter fire, but I didn't want to say anything. Do you know how many times people who listen to Christian radio, they walk into a church, they're at a memorial service, they sense something happening in their heart. It's resurrection fire. It's the power of God. But they often push it away or dismiss it, or they don't want to tell anybody what's happening to them. It's okay. It's a good sign. So they said, man, my heart was aflame while he spoke the living and active word of God. Jeremiah says, his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Jeremiah 29, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. I I could not. And so they arose that very hour, verse 33. Nothing was going to stop them, even though it was night. Robbers, thieves, danger on the road. And they returned to Jerusalem seven miles. And they found gathered together the 11 and those who, are with, who were with them. I would imagine it's the apostles minus Judas plus the early followers plus the women who reported the empty tomb. And they found everybody there and they rushed into the door and they said, the Lord, 34, has really risen, really, really risen. And I bet you there were some women standing in the corner going, Uh huh. Didn't we tell you three or four hours ago that he was risen? Yeah, but but now he's really, really, really risen. (laughs) You see, this is where it all started, gentlemen. The women in our lives often find themselves in this position, but it's really, really a resurrection. I know, I told you four hours ago. (laughs) What's the line? Behind every good man is a woman rolling her eyes. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help him to see. Help him to ask for directions to the tomb. He's really, really, really risen. 
He's alive. And he's appeared to Simon. That's Peter. 1 Corinthians 15, 5, as it goes through a list of resurrection appearances, says, and he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, or to Peter, Simon Peter. The last time we met Simon in the Gospels, he had said, Lord, though all forsake you, I'll go to prison, I'll go to death. And Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny that you even know me. And Jesus said something incredible. He said, Peter, Satan's been asking for permission to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. If anybody was ever solemn and down and despaired, you know, Peter may have been thinking if his faith was really low, I will never see him again. And I promised him that I would stand by his side and I've let him down. And Jesus appeared to Peter. What do you think he said to Peter? We don't know. This is one of the great untold stories we may find out when we get to heaven. But I would like to imagine it was something like this. Peter, I'm alive. Your life is not over. You failed, it's true. But you are gonna be used beyond what you could ever imagine. You're gonna lead thousands of people to me. You're gonna open the the doors to the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles. I'm going to use you in ways you cannot imagine. What do you think that meant to Peter to have the risen Lord tell him, Peter, it's okay. Your life is not over. You know, if you failed, just know the risen Lord likes to make special appearances to people who feel like failures. And to use you despite your failure and your overconfidence. And the Lord's appeared. He's, a, he's appeared to Simon. We have good news of great joy. The Lord is alive. He comes to us when we need him the most. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Now, they're sharing their experiences and they're saying, you won't believe it. He walked with us. It was the Bible study. It was Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they're telling the story, right? And here's what happens next. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. You gotta love Jesus. He vanished and then he's there again. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. It's me. You can verify the nail prints from the cross. You can physically touch me. Here's the empirical evidence. I am alive. This is my body. It is me. No hallucination. No spiritual resurrection. A bodily resurrection. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? That's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I love Jesus. I already loved him, but I love him even more now. Because one of the first things he says post-resurrection is, go ahead, hey, is there anything around here to eat? 
glorious. This means a couple of things. Number one, it means in the resurrection body, in your resurrection body, apparently we're going to get to eat. Isn't that glorious? And I'm not talking about salad. I'm talking about lasagna. I'm talking about pizza. I'm talking about manicotti, rigatoni, bean rice and cheese burritos, three times a day if you want. When we were in Israel, my wife and I would agree, one of our great desires was to come back and eat Miguel's Jr. It was like, it was like one of the top things on our list before we even saw any family. Just get me a burrito, man. Because there's a lot of chicken and things they call salad and <laughs> falafels and hummus. And, and you're, you're trying to be spiritual, but. <laughs> and so <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish, some other uh, versions say, and a honeycomb. And he took it and ate it before them, just, I think, to prove he was physical. And he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Skip down to verse 47. Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And it is radiated from Jerusalem, from the first witnesses, verse 48, all the way to Corona. And I am so glad that he's alive and he still saves. And here's my question for you. Do you know him? Do you know the hope of the resurrection? Have you lost some hope? Maybe, maybe you have walked away or maybe you're just, you haven't felt as close or maybe you've never known this hope before and you're wondering, is there anything really to anchor your life to? You guys see what's going on with even our young people these days, right? There's a lot of darkness in this world, but there is Easter fire. There's Easter light. Christ is risen. No fooling. It's true. He's alive. Oh, you can go ahead and clap for that. That's, that's all right. C.S. Lewis says there are times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I found myself wondering whether in our hearts we ever desired anything else. It's the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friends or work. May I just say, can I add something to what the brilliant C.S. Lewis said? I think the deepest longing of our heart may not be heaven. It's him. I want to know him. The power of his resurrection and even the fellowship of his sufferings. This is what life is about. It's to know him. Do you know him? You don't want to spend another day without him. You don't want to risk, because the Bible says you don't know what a day is going to bring, entering into eternity without him. You don't. He's alive. 
And he wants to save you. And the question is, are you willing to say yes to him? So I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't do all the time here. And it's this. During this last song, if you want to make a commitment to Christ or rededicate your life to Jesus, or you may be a Christian and going through a heavy time, I'm going to ask you to make a stand for him because he was willing to stand for you. And come to the front of the church. Come up here. I'm going to pray with you and for you. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm just going to ask you that maybe this could mark a new season in your life, a new beginning. You need to rededicate your life. The same is true. Come on forward. I pray there will be many of you who do this during this song. Uh, Walking forward at a church doesn't save you, but it's an indication that you're willing to say, I'm going to confess him before men, and he'll confess me before my fa- his father. So if you would like to do that, we're all going to be waiting and praying for you. You can get your feet walking and come up to the front, and, w- and I'll be here to pray with you. Okay, God bless you guys.